So welcome. Let me tell you, we're in for a wild ride today as we continue our series on 2 Kings and looking at God's desire to be our, our first, not our second king. Now do that, Drew did such a great job last week of giving us an overview. I'll just touch on again that we are in the Old Testament. We are right after King Saul, right after King David, and Solomon's kingdom gets split in half. We now have the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And God is going to woo and warn them before they get turned over to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And we are living here. In fact, as Drew mentioned last week, the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings was once one complete book. It would be outlined like this. First 11 chapters of 1 Kings, King Solomon's reign, and then his fall with God and with his kingdom. Then chapter 12 to 16 is a division of the the land of Israel into the north, which is Israel, and the south, which is now known as Judah. And then from 1 Kings chapter 17 to 1 Kings chapter 8, we have basically a battle going on between the two prophets of, of God, which is Elisha and Elijah, coming up against the kings, many, many kings, but specifically it was Jezebel the queen and Ahab the king that they've been speaking to. So that's where we've been, and we are right in the heart of this battle between two of the prophets of God, wooing and warning the people back to himself. And our message today is going to be very simple. Take up your mantle. God has entrusted something to you and to me that he wants us to take up, to embrace, to take on. We're going to get a bird's eye view of Elijah's last day on earth and Elisha's first day of ministry. And the word mantle makes me think of a chimney, the fireplace, the mantle over the fireplace. But a mantle was a, was a piece of cloth worn by many people, but specifically Elijah would have worn his like this. Besides being the Lord of hair, as we learned last week, he wore a mantle. Let me summarize the story before we dig into it. God has told Elijah this is his last day on earth. So he and his ministry friend of 10 years go for a walk. They stop at one of the schools they started, the Sons of the Prophets. And as soon as they arrive there, the undergraduates, pretty immature through the entire book, will say, Hey, Elisha, hey, Elisha, do you know Elijah's going to die today? God's taken to earth today? Shh, silence. Elijah says, Hey, Elisha, if you want to stay here, I'll go on without you. Elisha says, I will not leave you or forsake you. So they travel to another one of the sons of the prophet schools they've been to. Hey, Elisha, did you know that Elijah's going to be taken away today? Silence, yes, shh. Elisha, you can stay here. I'll go on without you. Elisha looks at Elijah and says, I will not leave you or forsake you. A third school that they started. It's kind of his last chance to say goodbye to all the things that he has done and invested in. And again, Elisha says, I'm coming with you wherever you go. And they come up to the Jordan River. One last chance, Elisha, to turn back. No, not a chance. I'm walking with you. Elijah takes his mantle. He rolls it up. 
he turns to the Jordan River and he hits the Jordan River with his mantle. Boom! And as he does, water shoots up to the left and to the right. And just like Moses and the Red Sea crossing, just like Joshua did this many, many years ago, the water separates. Wall of water to the left, wall of water to the right, and dry land in between. And Elijah puts back on his mantle, and he and Elisha cross over on dry land. And now like two old friends who don't have to say a lot of words, they take this walk together. They know these are their last moments they'll ever speak on earth. Elijah breaks the tension. He says, before I go, what can I do for you? Elisha says, I'd like a double portion of what you have. A double portion of that intimacy with God, a double portion of that power. Elijah's like, that's a hard request. But if God lets you see me go into heaven, he will grant your request. So these two old friends continue to walk together. And all of a sudden they hear a the sound of fire whooshing. They look behind them and horses made of fire carrying a a chariot made of fire whoosh right between the two of them. And a whirlwind suddenly appears and it pulls Elijah up, up, up into the air in this chariot and whirlwind. And he takes his mantle, looks back at Elisha and says, Elisha, take up. The mantle. And Elisha will pick up the mantle of faith, the mantle of friendship, the mantle of responsibility, and he will walk into the rest of his life carrying the mantle of those who had gone before him. Moses, Joshua, Jesus, the disciples, your parents, your grandparents. They all carried a mantle of faith, and they've handed it to you. Will you take up your mantle? Will you step into the mantle of friendship that they exhibited? Will you step into the mantle of faith that they demonstrated? And will you allow God to create an inner fountain in you of purity and forgiveness, and you will walk out what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Those are the mantles we're going to look at today. Let's look at our first mantle. The mantle we begin with is the mantle of friendship. It's really an interesting story here in 2 Kings because this phrase he uses over and over and over again is that I will not leave you. I'm here for you. So let me tell you how the story begins. It begins in chapter 2. Remember, this is Elijah's last day and Elisha's first day. It came to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha says, no way. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. So they went down to Bethel. Now that doesn't strike you and me. Bethel, Gilgal, what's the difference? But commentators for years struggled with all of the up-down references to topography are all accurate in the Bible except this one. Going down to Bethel would be like saying going down to Mount Everest. The topography doesn't work at all. Why does he say that they went to Gilgal, then they go up here to Bethel, 
And then they're going to come right back down to Jericho where they just were before they crossed the Jordan. You need to understand that Bethel, this was Lord of the Rings. There's two towers. Jerusalem is the temple to God, the white tower, and Bethel is the dark tower, the tower to Satan. And so they weren't using language related to topography. They were using language related to spirituality. They went down. You always go down if you go down to Bethel because you're going down to where idolatry lives. You're going to the dark tower when you go to Bethel. You can see that where they are in Jericho and Gilgal is minus 797 feet below sea level. And they walk all the way up to Bethel, which is 2,785 above sea level. But they went down because they went to a place of corruption. See, this traces back to just after Solomon's reign, a guy named Jeroboam knew people didn't want to travel all the way down to Judah now. And so what he did is he, he made two calves of gold and he said, it's too much for you to go down to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel. And he set up these pagan gods in Dan and Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets were at Bethel. They'd set up a school in the place where the dark tower is to teach people how to woo and warn them to stay close to God. And when they got to the next one at Bethel, the sons of the prophets came out and said, Hey, did you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Elijah says, yes, I know, keep silence. Elijah said to him, Elijah, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And again he says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they travel together. And they come to Jericho, right back down to minus 700 feet below sea level. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho said to him, Hey, do you not know that the Lord will take your master away today? Yes, I know. Keep silent. It's not the appropriate thing to say. And Elijah said to him, All right, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan River. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So again, they went up. They went back, and now they're going to cross over to the Jordan River. Now, this is the view they would have had when they were moving from Bethel back down to Jericho. So look how far down. It's way, way down there in the valley as they're traveling back down from Bethel. In fact, here's the path they would have taken. Look at that. From Bethel all the way down to Jericho. And when they arrived at Jericho, you can see the Jordan River just on the outskirts of the city of Jericho there. In fact, during rainy season, it can get really, really wide. It goes from being a creek to being a river during that time. So here's the question. Do you have Elisha in your life? Someone who's willing, even when you push him away, even when you don't think you need him, who's willing to walk with you through the unknown, your last day on earth, bad news, health news, walking through the things you've accomplished, the things left undone? Do you have someone to walk with you during the unknown? And are you someone who can walk with others through the unknown? I know many of you just like see out in the audience even right now who you walked with people this last year as they lost a spouse, as they cared for somebody in long-term caregiving, and you walked with them and they weren't alone during that time. Do you have someone and are you someone that will walk with others during times of unknown? We need that. I remember my first ministry, I, got, I was a youth pastor at this big kind of happening church down in Atlanta, and 
immediately I just hit the wall. Some things weren't going the way I hoped and wanted, and I was just ready to give up and think maybe I'm not called in the ministry, and maybe I'm not the right person, and maybe I need to change careers. And I had this mentor, this friend. He was both my boss and a friend. He was a pastor of families who would encourage me, shape me, smack me around, remind me that some decisions I'm doing weren't good ones and I need to grow up. And we were friends for about five years. Then he felt he needed to take the mantle of starting a church plant. So we spun off two different church plants from our church. And I'll never forget that final day. He looked at me. He said, Chad, I'm going off to start my own church. And I have watched you grow. I've watched you mature. And I have been praying, and I feel like God has uniquely called you to follow in my footsteps, something that no one else on staff seems ready for. And I want to pass the mantle to you. He said, I want you to be the resident smart aleck when I'm gone. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's not where I thought this was going. But yes, I feel <laughs> uniquely qualified to that role. In fact, when I was preparing this message several months ago, I called him up. I said, Kevin, I'm continuing the mantle. I'm loving on people. I'm encouraging people. And I'm being sarcastic as often as possible. He said, I'm so proud. I was talking to Henry Cloud several years ago. He wrote several books on boundaries. Ran into him at a conference. He told me the story about his brother-in-law who was training for Navy SEALs, if I remember it right. And he'd gone through that hell week where 200 miles they'd run. They haven't slept but four hours and five days. And now he's got that final push to swim through the freezing cold Pacific Ocean. And he's out in the middle of the ocean about 500 yards away from the shore. And he said he hits the wall. He has dug down deep and dug down deep and dug down deep. There's no reservoir left. Anytime you can give up, join the hundreds who have. Only five people are going to be a seal at the end of this day. The little boat's right there. All he's got to do is get in. His buddy, who'd already completed that final run, is sitting on the shore, and you can see him struggling 300 yards out. You can see he's stopped moving. He's starting to flail. Jim's brother-in-law is like, I'm not going to make it. I just, I can't dig anymore. There's nothing else to find. There's no more reservoir. There's no more energy. There's no more get up and go. I told you I'd die before I quit, but I'm about to quit. And from 300 yards away on the shore, his buddy sees him, and they somehow connect eyes, and ricocheting across the water, he yells, swim! And Jim's brother says something that he did not have access to a moment ago. Something that he had looked for in himself was gone, but something about connecting with the power of another man, a, a band of brothers, called out in him the ability to keep on keeping on, and he finished those last 300 yards and he became a Navy SEAL. And he would say, I couldn't have done it if someone else hadn't called it out of me. Do you have someone? And are you someone who can walk with others through the unknown? So that's our first mantle, the mantle of friendship. Our second mantle is the mantle of faith. You see, he could have stopped at Jericho, could have stopped at Gilgal, and he would have been a great ministry. Way to go, Elisha. But he just kept staying close, close enough to God, close enough to his plan, close enough to the challenges. Close enough is not the same thing as crossing over, crossing over what God has for you. The mantle of faith means that I want to be where God is, even if it's tough, even if it's difficult, even if it's it's somebody I wouldn't even prefer. I'd rather be with God in the thick of it than just be close enough to be safe. Here's what happens. Fifty men 
from the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood at the Jordan River. They're watching. What's going to happen now? This is the day. This is it. Now Elijah took off his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, and the two of them crossed on dry ground, just like Moses hundreds of years before. And so it was that when they crossed over, they got to see the miracle. When they crossed over, they got to see God's plan. Had he stayed at the Jordan, had he stayed on this side, he would have been close enough. But the mantle of faith is not being close enough. It's crossing over. And Elijah turns to Elisha and says, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha says, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Elijah's like, whoa. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, when I'm raptured before you, it shall be for me. But if not, it will not be so. God will answer that based on what you see in the next few moments. I had a mentor I went to Israel with twice. His name's Ray Vanderlaan, or he goes by RVL. At the end of our first trip, we're sitting in Israel. It's the last day. He's talking about walking close to our rabbi Jesus you want to be close enough to Jesus that the very dust of his feet get onto your sandals. You're so close to Jesus. That was his final challenge. I'll never forget in his final ceremony, he got down on his knees and he had each one of us come before him. He took handfuls of dust and one at a time, each person in our group, he would throw dust on our sandals and say, stay dusty. Stay close to Jesus. As I walked up after 10 days of learning and being challenged in my faith, he looked up at me, and I just felt prompted. I said, RVL, he said, yes, Chad. I want a double portion. So you can see I've got piles of dirt on both of my sandals. As he threw not one, but two. I want double the intimacy with God, twice what God might have for me. But you don't get that on this side of the Jordan. You get that on this side of the Jordan. Faith is not being close enough. It's about crossing over. So it happened as they continued on and talked. And suddenly, they're, they're walking together. A chariot of fire appeared with horses on fire and separated right between the two of them. And Elijah went up with a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. Wow! He cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. As he went up into heaven, he took hold of his own clothes. He tore them, grieving the loss of his friend. Tore them to two pieces. Then he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back. And he stood by the bank of the Jordan River, where now the water is flowing again. But now he has the mantle. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck it, it was divided this way and that, and now Elisha crosses over. Because God's plan is not back there. It's in the thick of speaking to Ahab and his sons and Jezebel. It's a hard assignment he has but he crosses over by faith to take the challenge to woo and to warn the people on behalf of God. Take up your mantle. He crossed over. 
Here's an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like as Elisha is taking that mantle from Elijah. Although you can see they didn't read the Bible because does that look like the Lord of hair going up in that? You got two bald guys. What's interesting is that very spot that Elijah took Elisha was on this side of the Jordan River. It's the exact same location that Moses handed over the reins to Joshua. Everything he's done is to symbolize the transition of power. Moses to Joshua. Joshua came to the promised land, crossed over the Jordan River, then went to battle with the Canaanites. Everything Elisha does and Elijah's doing was a story. I remember when my wife and I came to the Jordan River years ago on one of our trips. Looks like a creek in this small little place. The water's only about a foot deep, but man, is it moving. During rainy season, which is the time of this miracle, it's about 100 feet wide and 10 feet deep, that little creek, the Jordan River. And sometimes it's hard to cross over by yourself. Small as that creek was, it was amazing how you get pulled in that thing. It's amazing the rocks, just you twist an ankle just like that. And our leader challenged us to cross over. But you couldn't cross over that by yourself. Certainly not when it was at high tide. Or not high tide, but at at high um, rainy season. So what we did is we all helped each other cross over. One trip I took, we had people in their 80s who were crossing over. And we had people in their 20s. Different people standing at different places and helping them cross over. Another trip I took with this group was many people from our church. Everyone wanted to cross over as a symbol of how they wanted to be not close enough to God's work, but cross over into God's work to be a light in the Canaanite territory. And so there's folks from our church and others helping each other cross over. And that's why we started our church, to help you cross over from, from, I don't know if I even believe in God, to, man, I'm crossing over, I believe in God. I'm not sure about Jesus yet. Uh, I crossed over, I'm starting to believe in Jesus. I've never studied the Bible before. Let me help you cross over, take another step. I'm not sure what I'm going through, how to do it as a mom, as a dad. Oh, thank you. Here's somebody to help me cross over, hand over hand. As a church, we're here to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of people who help people cross over. That's what we do as a church. A picture will forever be in my mind because that image of what we did that day as a community is what we are called to do as a church. To take up the mantle not only of friendship, but take up the mantle of faith. Have you been close enough to God or are you finally ready to cross over even if it's into difficult circumstances he's called you to? God, I want to be where you are. I want to take up that mantle even in the land of the Canaanites. Or the Ahabs or the Jezebels. The third mantle is the, man, the mantle of inner freedom. What does God want to do in your life? Elijah's going to have some tough territory here. And already you've seen miracle after miracle. We have five miracles in this chapter already. We have crossings of Red Seas and crossing of Red Seas. And here comes another miracle. Because Elijah comes in. And as he comes in, he's going to bring about this incredible fountain that's going to replenish the city. And the question we're asked, answered, asked here is, are you going to pull up the mantle of inner freedom? Are you going to allow God to cleanse you from the inside out? Or are you going to be mauled by the circumstances of rebellion from God? You can let God mend you, or you can be mauled. God wants to heal. God wants to mend. So Elisha crosses the, over. 
He saw the sons of the prophets who were there at Jericho, and they said, Hey, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Look now, there's 50 strong men with your servants. Let us go search for your master in case God drops him off on a nearby mountain. What? Yeah, perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and you know, cast him on some mountain, or maybe the horses kind of dropped him off someplace, maybe some valley. He said, no, don't send anybody to do that. But they urged him, oh, come on. They urged him until he was ashamed. Is this how you treat the prophet of God? Welcome to your new assignment, Elijah. He said, fine, send him. Therefore, they sent 50 men to wander around and see whether or not God might drop him off before he gets to heaven. And they searched for three days and didn't find him. And look at all the symbolism here. From heaven to earth, they searched for three days. You just see little hints of Jesus even here. Meanwhile, while the, uh, the undergrads are looking for Elijah, he walks into the city. He comes to the city in Jericho, and they said, hey, did I not say to you, do not go? And they come back. I told you we weren't going to find anything. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, hey, please notice, the situation of the city, it, it's good. It's a good city to live in, but we got a problem. As the Lord sees, the, the water is bad here. The water is contaminated, it's polluted, and, and so our ground is barren because we don't have a good well system. He said, all right, bring me a new bowl. He grabs a new bowl, puts some salt in it. So they brought it to him, and when he went out to the source of the water, he goes to the source of the problem, the source of exactly where all the, the pollutants are coming from, he takes this bowl full of salt, pours it in, casts the salt in there, and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and there shall be no more death or barrenness because of it. And the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. If you're in Israel, you can go visit that fountain today. There is the spring of Elisha. See, carrying the mantle of inner freedom is saying, God, I've got pollutants in my heart, and I can talk about the symptoms of my bad attitude, the symptoms of, of how I've let lust take control of my life or how my anger gets the best of me, but God, I'm going to take up the mantle and say, will you heal the source of the problem? Will you forgive me? Jesus, three days you were in that grave, and everybody thought you were gone, but God, come and heal the source of my problem. Heal the source of my, my sin. Are you willing to take up the mantle and let God heal the source to mend the real problem in your heart? See, taking up the mantle begins with the forgiveness that comes from God and God alone. Wouldn't you want your heart to look like that, minus the giant hose pipe? The sense that, as Jesus says, I'll put within you a well of living water that you are cleansed. You're not living in guilt and shame, but living in the grace of God. Or, if you don't want to be mended, you could choose to be mauled. You could choose to face the consequences of rejecting God and pushing him away that most of the kings will experience. And it happens in the next verse. So he went up from there to Bethel. He's back in the dark tower. And he was going up the road, and some youths came from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! So he turned around, looked at them, pronounced a curse on them, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Well, this story took a turn for the worse. Can we go back to that pretty healing of the source a second ago? 
And I've had so many skeptical friends and atheists over the years say, this is why I don't trust the Bible. you got an insecure prophet who gets called baldhead, baldhead, and he basically kills off a bunch of kids. So let's unpack that. That's not really what's happening here. Let's unpack a few of the words. Word number one. The word youth used here is a, is a word in R. It's used to speak of young men. It's used several times in these passages. It described 20-year-old Absalom. Almost like saying he was immature. He's a young man. He's a man, but acting immature. He's, like, he's a nar. Even used to speak of young men like Jeroboam. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. This was a man, the word nar is used. And Solomon, seeing that this young man, a mighty man of valor, he was industrious. Nar. So these are not little kids. These are not little children. These are could be old men, could be young men, the way the verse is used. He's basically saying, look at these immature, rebellious, as you're going to see, pagan priests. Next part of the verse. Remember, we are at the dark tower. These aren't just some any random kids that come up. These are the priests from the dark tower of Bethel. Remember, this is the priests that come out from the dark tower, the, the, the temple to Satan, that Jeroboam had set up, remember, two calves of gold, one in Dan and one here. Here are your gods, your false gods, O Israel. It's more convenient than driving all the way down to Jerusalem. Another little hint here. This entire passage designed to parallel Joshua. Moses crossed the Red Sea, hands over the reins to Joshua in the same spot, Joshua then crosses over the Jordan River with the ark. He then goes to battle with the Canaanites and the gods of the Canaanites. Elijah has crossed over and immediately goes to battle with the priests, the bishops of the pagan gods. This is a battle between bishops. This is a battle between gods here. And these are the parallels in the passage. And when they say, go up, you bald head, go up, they're saying, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you or your God. Go up to heaven like Elijah did. Get out of here, God. So Elisha called two female bears out, and they mauled the 42 royal pagan priests of Bethel. And he went from there to Mount Carmel. Do you want to be mended or do you want to be mauled? <laughs> and notice the bears didn't kill him. Even in this moment, the pagan satanic priests who mocked and pushed God away. I mean, I don't want to be mauled by a bear, but he did spare their life. It's one more chance for them to repent. For you and I, Every way we've pushed God away, every way we've rebelled against God, every way we think we know better than God, where we should go, why we should do it, how our circumstances should be. And Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he got on that cross, this Jewish rabbi, and he let himself be mauled for you and me. He let the bears of hatred and anger and sin come out and tear him, shred him up so that he could heal and mend the source of our problem. So here's the question. Do you, want, do you want a prophet? Do you want the God who's mauled for you? Or do you want to reject him and be mauled yourself? Jesus will reference both Elijah and Elisha in his ministry. 
when his calling from God is to reach not religious people who are lost in their religion, but to reach people, even Gentile people. And he'll say, Elijah, a lot of lepers in Israel, but Elijah went into pagan territory, Gentile territory. That's where he healed and provided oil for Gentiles, like Naaman, as we're going to read in a few weeks. God wants to reach people who don't yet know him and believe in him. And Jesus said, that's why I came. And Jesus also ascended into heaven. And after being mauled on our behalf and bringing himself back to, from the dead three days later, he ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, he threw us the mantle. So, guys, here's my great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Reach people who are currently rejecting me. Reach people who are facing the consequences of their own actions. Reach people who don't believe in me or the Bible. Do not hate them, but love them. Be an example of my life. And Jesus said, my mantle to you is the great commission. Go into all the world. Teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how about you? Are you ready to take up your mantle? And what would it look like for you to today to have Jesus, after everything he's done and the way he was mauled for you, to ask you to take up his mantle? Have you been trying to live life on your own? Elijah falls into depression in 1 Kings chapter 1 because he doesn't have a friend. And God says, you've lived a life very successful but alone. He commands him to go get a friend. Maybe you, the mantle, is you need to put some more friendships in your life. Maybe for you, the mantle is God's calling you to be a friend to a spouse going through a difficult time. A friend going through a difficult time. To reach out and begin a friendship with someone far from God who rejects God. And you, you want to be the example of what it is to live a God of grace and mercy. Maybe taking up the mantle for you. This thing, I've been close to what God's doing. I know the Bible a lot. I go to church a little. But I'm not sure I've crossed over into living my life fully and finally for him. I'm not sure I've crossed over into entrusting my, my relationship with him, my future to him, my finances with him, my, my calendar to him. And God says, take up the mantle. Maybe you're religious, you're a churchgoer, but you can't remember a time that you asked Jesus, personally yourself, to heal the source of your own fountain, your own sins, your own anger, your own bad attitudes, your own idiosyncrasies. Maybe today take up the mantle saying, God, I, I need you to heal the source of my hurt and my pain and my sins. Thank you that you're mauled on my behalf. Or maybe sometime in the last year you've been experiencing, maybe it's the last 10 years, that you've been mauled by bad choices you've made. You know you've pushed God away. You know you've pushed him to the back skirts of your life. Go up, God, I don't need you. Thinking taking up the mantle means repenting. God, I am so sorry. Woo me and warn me back to you. But let us be a community that takes up the mantle of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to be 
where you are. For each person here who's been discouraged or facing the unknown, God, I ask that you would be their Elisha and you would prompt them to find an Elisha. God, that you would be the source of their power and strength and show us what it is that you would be our first king, not our second king in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe you'd like to find out how do you do that. So we have, especially this time of year, ways to connect with other people to grow your faith or to get with other people to help you with that. We have three ways you can do that. One of those is a live and learn group studying Proverbs that's starting up right now for men. If you'd love to be part of that and really learn how to make wiser decisions. We have a purpose-driven life group that you can join that's starting up. What's the purpose of my life? How do I follow God? We have a women's group called Seamless. Get into a relationship where other people can walk with you, know what's going on in your life, and pray for you. Thanks for being here. We'd love to meet you. Third door on your left is the hearth room. Thanks for being here today.